fastest legs or the strongest arms. But are you ready for a game where all that matters is the speed of your mind and the power of your imagination? We are, and we're waiting around the world to challenge you. The game's Magic the Gathering, and all you need to play is a brain, a deck, and a friend. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another fantastic episode of Nerd with Dre and Jeff. I am your co-host, Jeff May, and you are? So actually, Jeff, I'm going to pull an audible on you. Here's the thing. If we view this in the, the annals of wrestling, I come ill-prepared. But you know what, Jeff? I'm still in a Mick Foley promo for this. I have no complaints with that. I don't think I can be in the ring for this podcast, but I think I know someone who can. So for this episode, I brought a tag team partner, the one, the only, the man of many hats, the producer, the voice of God, the box score Beckett guy. That's right. He gave himself that title last week. Brian Foster. Hey, Brian, say hey. Oh, here's the run-in, Dre. What do you think my music would be if I was doing a run-in for your match? I don't know. Tough to well, say. Foley, you guys would be, you, you would be either, uh, well, what's his name? Chainsaw Charlie at that point. <laughs> uh that was what they went with right they they were like they didn't well want i'm i'm Terry still Punk. in when i'm still in when mick foley introed himself as dude love but the same energy of saying you don't want this tag team partner but i know someone you do oh we're not doing rock and sock connection here oh that would oh no okay that's oh. you, you give us the answer brian foster you may disagree with this you are the rock <laughs> I agree with it. What I love about Dre is he's like, you know what? I'm not even going to participate in this podcast. And that's not at all the the luxury that we have in this podcast, because this podcast is all about celebrating the things that we love that are nerdy, the history of our experiences through. We don't have to be experts on this to talk about it and pretend that we're experts on this. But I will give the cheat and and note. So for those that don't know, Brian Foster and myself have been tweeting at the Box Score Geeks forever. I give the title. I do want to explain this, Jeff. I'm fine going down. This oh, I want to hear. Break. I want to know about this. So Brian has got the nickname, and I, I I want to ask your opinion of Brian Foster, the Box Score Beckett, or the Box Score Beckett Guide. I think the guide at the end sounds best. Uh I mean, hmm. either way, you're you're going stats and mixing them with the collectibles, right? Yeah, which is the case. And so, okay. to give the backstory on this, Brian indulged my uh, my new addiction, which you are partially to blame for, of opening packs of, <laughs> of 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 nostalgic cards. There's a perfect confluence of events. A store in downtown Appleton is closing down. I walked in. I said, "Hey, do you have any classic basketball cards?" The guy said, "No." Well, except for these packs of 1990 Fleer, and I was like. You mean literally exactly what I just asked you for yeah. is what you have. So I bought a couple boxes of those and Brian on the box score geek show where we talk all sorts of stats, all sorts of numbers, you know, all sorts of love as to why Nikola Jokic is the MVP. Brian, <laughs> let me break a pack on that show because it, it overlapped and we both love the 90s, like the golden era. It's fun. Yeah, it's it's awesome, and I mean, I pulled a Chris Mullen, which I have on my desk, waiting to send to Brian at some point. Oh, are you a are you an, a Northern California resident? What was it, Tim Hardaway? Is that your guy, Chris Mullen? Yeah. So the, the trio was called Run TMC. Of course, Run DMC, the group was around at the time, and T was Tim Hardaway, M was Mitch Richmond, and C was Chris Mullen. But it didn't last very long. The three of them ended up getting injuries, and then they were broken up, so they did not go far in the playoffs. But 
a team that was starved for wins at the time did enjoy the run team Sierra basketball. It's it, it, that is a, a very interesting thing when we talk about collectibles because collectibles tend to be such a nerdy thing. They are. And when you get into sports collectibles and you see these people that are like, they're really into sports and they don't consider that nerdy. And then you're just like, you know, you're like collecting little cardboard rectangles, right? That's like, it's like little men running around. That's super nerdy. It's basically just flat cardboard Legos that you're playing with there. And they get furious. And that to me feels so good. Well, not not me. My my nickname is has been forever. Nerd numbers. I I love the the back of the cards are just as important, Jeff. I make sure my binders show those. So, but Brian that's, didn't that's have so quite. Stupid. It's so awesome. You were wrong. But Brian, um, when we were talking, going doing this unpacking, uh, I was like, hey, did you did you grab these cards? And Brian's like, ah, oh, not so much. Basically, every card I came to, Brian literally could have written the blurb for the card. So I'd read the back of the card. And I'd be like, oh, a, a Dan Shays, who is this? And Brian's like, oh, yeah, he's the son of Hall of Famer Dolph Shays. And I'm like, that, that's the first sentence on the card. Yeah. So it so, is. It, yeah. It's very interesting to me because I know that you guys are so well versed in the in the stats information and that and having that. And, and whereas Adam Todd Brown and I, who we both bring a fair amount of knowledge about these things. But our thing is the comedy aspect of it which is so different. And uh, when we do, you don't even like sports cards and, you know, I'll see how I do on, I must break you. You know, I haven't, uh, I haven't dropped an episode of that yet. So Ooh, and, I'm ready. And that's going to be, that's going to be all uh, non-sports. So here's the fun part. So Brian and myself, as I mentioned, both very well versed in stats. Brian, literally, you could probably go up and say, how much is this card worth? Was this player any good? Give me some trivia about him, and boom, on the spot. We we have camera. We have camera proof of that, Brian. Yeah, which is on uh, Twitch Well, as uh, channel nerd numbers on YouTube. Yeah. We recorded it live on Twitch TV. Uh, but the cool thing that I've known for years about Brian, and sorry, to, I'm doing too much to talk. I gotta let you talk, Brian. Is that you know magic and played it back, and that's always fascinating to me because this is one of those weird blind spots in my pop culture back thing where everything about it says I should have been into it, and somehow it just missed me. I was into Star Wars CCG. I was into Robo Rally. I might find an excuse to talk that in a bit. And there was even a table at school that played magic. And I think by that point, yeah. I was just kind of like, I don't want to collect any cards to have to play. If I have to pay to play, I don't want to have to play, pay the hobby. But Brian, you at one point played competitively and know lots of stuff. And then you know lots of stuff from the heyday, kind of the era all of us have, that 90s era of kind of the peak yeah. of some of these pop culture things. Which nerd is a bit of a throwback, yeah. Oh, 100%. And this arrangement isn't, Bad, Dre. I mean, if this were wrestling, you'd be like my manager or my valet, do the promo for me, and I don't have to talk. It works out pretty well. Oh, uh, I will. T I will. T if, if we're doing Paul Heyman, The Rock, that's and right. Then, and then, okay, we we need a we need a wrestling comp for Jeff. Like, so Jeff, who who are you in this? Wait, uh, have to be a wrestler. You got to be a wrestler. Trish Stratus. All right, nice. there, there we go. I'm just gonna go to my room. <laughs> um, so. Uh, a quick, I'm going to do a brief history because uh, th this is important. Magic the Gathering has been uh, published um, for, we are celebrating, uh, all we're about to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Magic the Gathering. It's almost frustrating that we're releasing this in uh, April instead of August here. Um, because from August 1993, that's when we get Alpha. And for the remainder of 1993, we get Alpha, Beta, Unlimited and then Arabian Nights. So that's four expansions in a 
four month period or five month period, really. Um, and what we see is that alpha, the reason this happened is because uh, the alpha run that we saw, the, the beginning one, these are the ones where the cards are worth the most you could possibly imagine, uh, sold out almost immediately, like to the point where, you know, Wizards of the Coast kind of realized like, oh, this thing is actually bigger than we ever expected it to. And, and we find out through there that when you see these cards that end up being broken and have to be eroded, banned, restricted, whatever, it's because, uh, and it's uh, Richard Garfield, I believe, is that the guy's name? That's yeah. right. Said uh, he didn't expect it to have the examinations that is going to happen, that people are going to be tinkering with it. He thought it was going to be more like a party game, kind of a card game, instead of what it ended up becoming, which is a unhealthy obsession. And, uh, and, you know, something that we're not going to see until Pokemon hits, you know, six years later, really, uh, in America. And even then, Jesus. So from 1993, August of 1993, up until now, we are seeing Magic the Gathering publishing at least two sets a year. That's the barest of minimums. Um, and, and it's way more than that. I didn't really start until like 96 to 97, maybe. My first pack of cards that I ever got, I think it was like that Ice Age, Visions, Mirage, 5th edition kind of era. Um, so I was pretty late to Magic the Gathering. Brian, when did you get in? 1994. So I actually read about oh, wow. Magic the Gathering in a magazine. I want to say it was Dragon Magazine, right when it came out in 1993. But I live kind of, you know, out in the country, out in the middle of the woods on a dirt road. So I couldn't really get access to any stuff. I think you were reading Dragon Magazine, but. Well, I mean, magazine subscriptions, that's all there was, right? In the right. newspapers, that's about it. Maybe you could get an encyclopedia set if you're lucky, but no, <laughs> no work wide web. So. But my friends started playing and I started hearing about it in 1994. I started playing and then eventually started going to tournaments a few months later. So yeah, I played in competitive tournaments from 94 to 2004 is pretty much when I quit. Oh, wow. 10 years. Yeah. That's a pretty good run, though. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Um, what was the uh, sorry? Pardon, no, go ahead. Jump go in, ahead, Jeff. But uh, what, what, what was the uh, quitting? I'm curious about the quitting point, because for Jeff, we know on the Star Wars CCG, basically, ironically, Magic the Gathering killed star wars ccg for the most part for for the jeff scene where when richard garfield took over the next iteration of star wars dog shit game yeah. which is ridiculous <laughs> and that we might have to talk about because richard garfield sounds freaking amazing but i'm curious like 2004 was it you know for me that would have been college time i think you're a little older than me like was it you know just getting adult or you know did anything else knock you out yeah that's pretty much it i never made a conscious choice it just kind of gradually happened um yeah, so I I graduated from college a few years before that. You know, my friends who I played with were in college. We had a club team, you know, where we had a name of the club. We rented a building on campus and played and practiced and everything. So yeah, we started drifting apart. People go to graduate school, whatever. Um, then I came back and started playing again for a little bit in 2003, whatever. But then by 2004, I'm like, eh, I'm done. And I mean, we can get into a bigger conversation about this, but more newer games just kind of started getting released. And even though I'd put 10 years into this game, I'm like, yeah, we need to move on to some different games because of the rules and whatnot. 
there's there's a lot to say about the era upon which we sort of left because there is a big shift that we're going to see and and um 2003 uh when you have eighth edition that actually marks the beginning i've done my research uh of what they call the modern era the modern format yeah um which is different it's a slightly different it's a variation of that it's it's a little bit you're going to start the introduction eventually of things like planeswalkers which changes the whole thing as well now the thing about it was, is I stopped buying magic cards and I, cause I looked it up and I was like, yeah, what year was that? It's, it was literally like summer of 1999. That's the year I graduated high school and I still had star Wars, but I was just like, all right, well, I don't have time to go to college, still play star Wars and play magic, the gathering. Yeah, I just don't yeah. have it in me. And I, and like that interest sort of lost, but I've always been so connected, you know, reading Inquest and Scry magazine and all these different things and and going to comic book stores all the time and Friday Night Magic being such a thing that I it never didn't seep into my skin. Like it it was never away. Like I what it's not like I didn't know it was a thing. I just wasn't actively participating in it. Is that what ended up happening with you? Like did you just did you just cold turkey it or were you like I'm going to have to see some things. I'm going to check into some things. No, I just kind of, I guess I was, it just been a few months. I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm not playing. I didn't really think about it until after it was over, right? But there was, but I, the reason why I do know the, the exact time is the last big tournament I played in was the Champions of Kamigawa pre-release tournament. And so, you know, okay. maybe, yep. That's the, like the, the Japanese themed That's right. of of series, yes? Yeah, and this is the very first set of it. And nowadays, the pre-release tournaments, they have a bunch of them and their local stores and all that. Mm -hmm. But in those days, there was one pre-release for each region and 500, 700 people would go to it a lot of the time. And it was this big, huge deal. It's a bit much. Yeah, and it wasn't a, as competitive as a tournament. The good players would sometimes play, sometimes they wouldn't. And it was mostly just average players, but still it was a big tournament. And I got first place overall in that tournament. I'm like, great. Damn, Maybe dude. this is the way to go. But it's hey. a pre-release. No one cares about a pre-release. No, right? that's but that's awesome. It was a good way to go out. All right, Jeff, okay. I'm going to... Okay. We, we got two hop-ins. I'm going to hop in first because I never right. thought this was going to come up on show. But Brian, I got an interesting story. I didn't know we had this kind of in common. I played competitive laser tag at one point oh, wow. and of was basically, yeah, of course. Anyway, it's also why I got my love of box scores, but we, we don't have time for that, Jeff. That's another show. It'll come up. We'll, 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 we'll keep talking. Mm -hmm. But um, basically I was like a top player on the training squad for one of the best teams ever. So the Colorado team or the Denver team was one of, they were called Paragon. That was their nickname. One of the best ever. I was on the training squad on most it, in its regional base on most places. I would have been on the A team, but in this case, I was on the B team. I played the Lincoln five man and I got on a team. We won the consolation round. Now that sounds like amp, eh, whatever, but the Lincoln five man, the Lincoln squad was the best. They went on to be like a dominant team. So basically the second half of the Lincoln team, I beat them in the consolation round on a team of people from Denver. And I was like, that's good enough for me. So kind of. Sounds really geeky, Brian. Apologies. Apologies to make this thing about magic. That's all about you. And then like, hey, about me too. Like had a similar moment where I had this hobby that I had invested years and years in, kind of had a pinnacle moment where I had like a major win. 
and was just and then i kind of just stopped playing after that it's all about me that's a good 90s song very good <laughs> 90s reference right there um what i want to say about when you were like it's it's just pre-release it doesn't count blah, yeah blah, yeah who cares about that one of the things um that i was having a conversation with at god this is gonna we are just geeking in a circle my pinball league Ooh. we i was on a group of four players and we all were playing um the foo fighters table for the first time together so we were all competing against each other um for the to play foo fighters but none of us had ever played it what that kind of goes to show you when you are in a situation like that where you're all on the same footing and you end up coming out on top is well in a raw capacity i'm better than anybody else today and that's not something that should be discounted because it's much easier ironically to take your time do your research and figure out how you can game the game pardon my thing but like game the rules to make things you're basically like the point of winning magic the gathering or any card game is how can i hack this game to beat people at this thing like that really is what it comes down to but if you're playing it with a no look situation and winning that means that your raw talent is there. So to just diminish it by being like, it doesn't matter because it was a pre-release is <laughs> antithetical to what the actual skill is, which is I know what I'm doing when I'm flying in blind. So I would like to say that you should pat yourself a bit on the back of that. Spoiler alert, circling back there, I got fourth on my Foo Fighters game. Nice. <laughs> Good work. I would say it's everything's relative, right? Obviously, my expectations at the time were I should be doing better on pro tours. It's it's always nice to win a tournament, right? But to your point, though, I would say in Magic, and this is probably true for a lot of other games, there's different skills to the game and different players were better at different things. Mm -hmm. Some were more rounded and some were specialists. So, yeah, what you're talking about is very important. Um, you know, for limited formats, which are, you know, the card's better than a pre-release, but you don't get to practice with your constructed deck. You have to put it together with a sealed deck, right? That's yeah. a format at all things. But then in constructed, yeah, practicing and knowing um, the format and playing the deck, you know, rotely is a lot more important. But there's other skills too. Some people were just known as deck builders, like, like, um, I remember uh, Carnegie Mellon, CMU had one of the biggest teams back then. And they had a guy named, I think it was Eric Lauer, was their deck building specialist. And he's built decks for everyone on the team, right? A lot of teams were like that. So yeah, I hate I, that. You were that. I actually hate that. You were that, Jeff. Anyway, continue. No, but no, 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 no. I don't, it's not that. <laughs> oh, tell me more. Tell me more. No, it's it's one of those things where it's like a team of people, and then there's really just one guy that's putting it together. And it's like the Wicked Witch and the Winged Monkeys. Like, Oh, but it's a bigger point, though, because the players who were good at playing those decks he put together could not have built them as well, but he sure. could not have played them as well as them. Yeah. No, I get that. I'm saying I hate it because I feel like you should have to build your own deck. And I, I understand that you can't regulate that. I'm not saying that it should be illegal because 
that's not a thing. Like you deck decks are, you know, you can find decks everywhere. Magic has itself re-released championship decks that you could buy. Yeah. Get that. What I'm saying is I don't respect it. It should be an individual game, not a team game. I am future Dre, the editor. I'm going to edit this podcast and probably going to just cut this part out. But future editor is really debating if I want to go to the Star Wars CCG episode and cut in where Jeff talks about how he and his brother, and I believe that's the same brother. Together. Just like the CMU team. And competed against each other in tournaments. That's important to know. Uh, And also, that was my brother and I working from the same exact pool of cards, working and talking out how we can build our own individual decks, not a dude making decks for everyone else to use. I don't I don't like or respect that. I'm sorry. And I, I get that that might make me seem very hypocritical. But I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> if I get time, I'll I'll put a uh, I'll put a um a poll out related to this. I definitely I, find ironically my my first guest on Jeff has cool friends 2.0 on the on the new one was uh, my brother. Yeah, we used to. That's the one that I used Who, to. Play. Two, yeah, you know, we called they called you the Carnegie Mellon of the Star Wars CCG world is what I hear. Anyway. All right. So sorry. I know I that's actually what I'm here for. I'm really excited hearing the backstory of definitely the Brian like competitive scene, but I'm also okay if we want to keep going on the trail and then have Brian drop in whatever I, we would. Yeah, no, I didn't I didn't mean to cut you off on that. It was just like what what like telling me that there's like one deck builder for like a team and it's like, oh, the team is so good. I'm oversimplifying it. It was they all build decks and they all played, but some were more stronger than others. And other teams were like that too. Um for my group, it was me and this other guy, Willie Atherson. He was the best, but I was kind of his sidekick deck builder, and we build decks together. So it was a two-person thing. I don't know. You know, that's how it goes. Well, you were competing against each other too, right? Yeah. Well, so the way it worked, yeah, you'd show up for a tournament. There'd be a few hundred people there, and yeah, you would play against your friends. Yeah. Everyone there was your friend in some way, right? Yeah, your compadre. Your compadre. Yeah, some people were your direct Although, I, actually, no. <laughs> like, I'll, from, I came to least, win. At least in Star Wars tournaments, there there are a lot of aspects of nerd culture that appeal to certain groups of people that don't necessarily have social skills. And sometimes, especially in competitive events, that comes out in a very big way. Can I talk and, briefly on that? Yeah, I would love for that. Yeah. My play group was known as being judges as well as players, certified judges. Oh, fine. So what my teammates, so in the old days, the judges would let you like rules lawyer and screw over your opponents in the games. So my team was known for doing that. Like we would try to like get game wins by like kind of rules lawyering the opponent. So you would have been all about that, I think. Yeah, there was something I saw recently where like there was some mechanic that was like you could secretly get a cheap win if somebody accidentally didn't put their graveyard in the right order after looking at it. And and it was like the guy, it was a historical overpoint of it, but he basically editorialized in the middle of his history that he, uh, of the historical recount that he's just like, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but he's like, but you're kind of an asshole if you do that. But anyway, um, they changed the rules, so you can't do that as much. Yeah, but it used to be like that in the old days. Yeah, like we we used to just have fun when we were doing it. And if we knew we'd throw somebody off because they were 
an asshole, we would make, if somebody was an asshole, we'd make their life worse. That was basically the goal <laughs> was like to, if somebody, if we thought somebody was a jerk, we would do things in the game to frustrate, to instigate. Um, if they were cool, we'd be like, let's just have fun. But if somebody was a dick, we would do that. But that's not that's neither here nor there. Um, looking at the early chunk, I think our because you started, you said in '94. Yep. Um, so that would have been like Arabian Nights or The Dark stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So Arabian Nights and Legends and Antiquities had already come out, mm -hmm. and so I started playing right when Revised had come out, which was the first. That's the first set with a big print run where they had um, removed all the broken cards, the power nine and all that. So yeah. And there was revised. was also the first white border main set. It was, um, I guess it's considered second edition. I'm not sure, but it's called revised. Wait. So is that uh, before or after unlimited? Yeah. So the way it went was alpha beta and unlimited were basically three print runs of the same set. Cause unlimited it's... was the first white border, right? Ah, uh, you're right. I'm sorry. So the only you, you reason got me... I the only reason I know this, and I have talked about it on Jeff has cool friends when Tim Makuga of uh, the band Have a Nice Life came on, who's my uh, my longtime friend, that he recently at a Salvation Army found a starter deck of Unlimited. Damn, included a and he got them graded. They're CSG nines, both of them. What a Taiga and a Mox Sapphire. That's like thousands of dollars right there. Yeah, he basically found a car. He found Jesus. a car for ninety nine cents at a Salvation Army. But you're right, nine, though. Graded nine in a in a in a in a Salvation Army. That's it, and right. they well, no, he didn't get them graded. He they weren't graded at Salvation Army. No, I'm saying he went yeah. there. They were there. You found like a box of used that someone gave away, and they were at that quality. Like yeah, so usually, if you find something at Salvation Army, even if they were maintained well, someone like chucked him in a garbage bag and gave him to that. So like even that, the wear and tear from that yeah. runs the a risk of making it worse. The hypothesis is opened, looked at, junk drawer, dead, donated. That's the hypothesis of, of something like that, that it, it wouldn't, anybody that saw that, that had any knowledge of, of that. So most likely he, he was guessing that it was somebody that had gotten it that died and a parent probably donated it or something. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, he found a, a mock sapphire and a taiga and got sent him. And as soon as he sh he's like, "Look what I got!" And I was like, "Get those graded now." I was like, "Do not allow these to exist in a way that they are not protected." And I think they're in a safe at this point in time because mm. I was I was like, I was blown away by that information. But that's the only reason I knew that Unlimited was the first white border. Um, so I apologize for interjecting in there. Go on. No, that was pretty much it. Um, yeah, Alpha and Beta were black border, but they had slightly different corners than each other. So that's how people could tell them apart. And then Unlimited was the first white border set. But those three were all very short print run, um, like was being said earlier on the show. I'll add that Beta is the same as Alpha, but with two cards that missed Alpha that they forgot to put in, which was Circle of Protection Black and Volcanic Island. There's no volcanic island in Alf. I never knew Correct. that. Yeah. So uh, wow. I did my research. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Can can the nerd ask the the nerd that doesn't know the game? What is the implication of that? What is volcanic islands? 
have it's, that vol, volcanic, or volcanic island volcanic island is is uh one of the very famous dual lands i believe it gives yep. you both red and blue mana um now something that's interesting about the design of these cards that i found very fascinating and i i honestly i don't have one with me so what i'm going to do is i'm going to pre-open a pack and pull the first common out of it because surprise i brought packs to open so i'm going to pull a card and I'm doing this primarily just for the video aspect of it. God damn it. Get out of here. All right. So we look at the card back right here. The, there's a, it's like five balls making a pentagram, sort of a connect the dots. We have white at the top. And then next to it, we have green. If we're going clockwise, okay, we have white, blue, black, red, green, and then back to white. I just found out today for the first time in my life that the colors next to a color are the allies and the two across from it are the enemies. I had no clue that that was a thing. This is a 30 year old game that I played. So all the dual lands that started, I believe, Oh no, they weren't connected. Um, but yeah, there's one for each combination. I'm pretty sure there's yeah, 10 of them I or whatever. I don't know. Ooh, I, that felt good to open a pack of Magic the Gathering cards right next to me here. And, you, and you're not going for the others. You're, ju yeah. you're just sticking with the common. By the way, I looked this up too at the same time. Apparently, if you had a third edition moderately played one, you could buy that for $650. So, wow. Oh, right now? Yeah, apparently. Uh, Although this third edition just is line. unlimited. Is that what it's saying? I'm guessing. I mean, you'd know better than me, but it just says 3ED. So, And it says revised edition. So, yeah. Yeah, that's revised. That's the one after. That a much that's the first set with the big print run revised. So a um a unlimited mock sapphire that goes that is a uh, graded at a nine. Um PWCC Marketplace has it um listed oh shit. Um for forty eight thousand. No, that's that's gotta be alpha. That can't be right. Uh TCG player has it listed raw at Four thousand. Okay. By the way, high five. We're on the same website. Go yeah. Google. I found that at the so same time. TCG player uh, raw has it at four thousand. Graded at a nine, it's going to be a lot more than that. That's ridiculous. So that is uh, that is an absolutely fascinating aspect of that. Um, so so that's really that's really one of those things where you look at that era uh, of cards and you look at just how insanely valuable they are and can i also ask another new question so you have the different magic types mm -hmm. and yeah to, so i i gotta ask your opinion as a star wars ccg player which i come from as well magic seems much more complicated but then also seems to have a broader appeal so would you agree with that or would you say magic has Simpler rules, at least if you were like a noob player just playing with friends. They have similar rule sets in that this the rules start to be the same. Uh, Star Wars is a little bit more complicated because you're playing with characters and whatever, whereas Magic the Gathering, you're playing on a similar plane of existence. Uh, the original sort of theme for Magic the Gathering was you and your opponent are wizards. So you and your opponent are wizards and you are casting spells to battle on this battlefield. That was the, that was like the intent. So like a creature, for example, that's a spell. You cast a creature out and you're like, now this creature 
uh, is on the plane of the battlefield that I have created. Whereas in Star Wars, you are creating scenes um, in different places. You could have, you know, Yoda Jedi testing Leia Skywalker while, you know, Obi-Wan is over at, at the Death Star piloting, uh, you know, uh, uh, in the trench or something like that. Like you would create weird what ifs. Are, are you using episode one Obi-Wan to pilot you, in the you, Death Star trench? Oh, you could yeah, do you either. You, didn't, you said you didn't like that. I, I, I'm i inclined to agree. I'm like, no, I hate that. But I understand it's in the rules. Anyway, but you proceed. could do that. So like, but with Magic the Gathering, you know, it's a much more it's much more simplified because the concept of fantasy conceptually is more popular than the solo Star Wars concept. Um, barely, but it is. Um, but also at that point in time, like it, it is more user-friendly, but as sets continued, they would keep adding new, like cards would have new things. Be like, oh, this one has haste or double strike or trample. And it's like a new thing. And you're like, oh, that's crazy. Star Wars also introduced new mechanics. Card card games are aware of the fact that you have to stay fresh. You can't just do the same thing over and over and over and over again. You have to do new things. Um, and that was fun for me. Like, I was one of those people, I guess you'd say, Brian, I was a deck builder um, in that. I liked like I made a I made a god deck and it was like I wasn't allowing myself to play with cards that weren't religious in in nature. Now that actually ties back to me going back and finding older cards with um the dark which is the dark is the first subset they made that twisted the idea of magic the gathering a bit. Whereas, you know, Arabian Nights, that was, we're just taking the <laughs> Arabian Nights story and we're just going to, oh, look, there's Aladdin. He's a card now. Um, the Dark did this really weird thing where they took all of the colors and what they represented. Um, so like green, for example, is nature, right? Green is a nature thing. It's so a lot of elves, a lot of, you know, it's whatever. They would do like all the green characters were like serpents or poisonous leeches they were like the toxic parts of nature um and so like white was normally like the the purity aspect of it but it became like the negative ugly side of religious zealotry so you would have i think there's a card where they like have a goblin crucified <laughs> and it's 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 a car it's like something about an inquisition where it's literally a crucified goblin and it's it is in a way sort of like a, I hate to say it this way, but like a, like a white, pardon the pun, a white supremacist card. It's like the white characters. It was like doing all that. Um, and by the way, Jeff, that is why Kurt Angle did not join Magic the Gathering. Perfect. Perfect choice. Um, black, uh, black was already the dark color in there, but it ended up being all about necromancy. And like dealing with the dead blue was all about because blue is all was is technically like the counter color. And, and it was all about like the mind and stuff, but it was about weaponizing the mind. And then red ended up being a big push to like destruction as opposed to like this freedom aspect that it represented. So that to me shows like the real storytelling aspect of it exploding in a way 
because Arabian Nights is borrowing from the storytelling aspect. And we, we're going to start to see in the dark that the lore of Magic the Gathering is going to be elevated, to which now, Christ, I mean, if you look at it, like, every, like two, two, to th two to three sets in a row are all themed. I find that very interesting. But obviously, Magic the Gathering started as the most popular CCG. And, you know, I understand that Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! are massive. But as far as, like, adult players, like, Magic has maintained that strength for a very long time. And now they're doing weird shit that loyalists and purists hate. I look at the stuff now, and, and a lot of it I see on social media. But it'll be like, Magic the Gathering presents Street Fighter 2. And I'm like, ooh, that one sounds good. I'm like, what? That's a real thing. That is a real thing they did. Or like, obviously they're doing Dungeons and Dragons and they're like, that's the one I'm seeing now. Um, the one they have coming out soon, I believe, is Lord of the Rings comes out in June, hmm. including a one of one ring to rule them all that currently has a $500,000 bounty on it. That means somebody has said to the person who pulls this card, I will give you half a million dollars if you say Oh, like literally, it's that's not even an in-game magic. You are like literally using like the definition of bounty as someone. There's a, there's a one ring to rule them all card or the one ring or I don't know. And, and is it exactly is one. one of one? Oh, holy cow. All there's right. one version of that card in the whole set? That's going to be, there are, yeah. I'm assuming there are versions of that card that exist, mm. but that one is a one of one, like the rarity of it. So Charlie in the chocolate factory type of situation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I said to the guy at the store today. Shout out to the guy at Emerald Knights in Burbank, California, uh, who was telling me that. And I'm like, that sounds like some Willy Wonka shit right there. Yep. Well, I got it. This is a nice place for an off ramp. Uh, and definitely want to like ask Brian about this. Something I found fascinating about pack breaking in general. So I've got these Fleer that we broke together. And I can't remember if you and I got the David Robinson when we did it, which is a pretty impressive we card. Did. We did. And I pulled a David Robinson in the same pack as a Michael Jordan later. So I have no idea the rhyme or reason to sports cards, how they put the card packs together. But clearly, it wasn't what I was used to from Star Wars CCG, which I hear follows magic. This notion of when you open a pack of cards, you can expect a distribution of cards and like probably just one if not probably then just one rare and yeah, also rarity was, is one unless unless it's a pack error and okay so that would definitely be cool and then also another thing to what you were saying about the history and so like you were into this super early brian right uh, i don't know if you hit it because i'm like the alpha beta ones was like not anticipating the release the rare the rarity of cards was just hyper offset because they didn't produce enough so in this notion of rare card pulling distribution how that works and then now we're getting to this point where you're having one of one like in your heyday when you were doing it did you like you you got in early right you were saying 94 so i'm curious like do you have any cool rare cards or did you have any interaction with like the rarity of that kind of stuff well it's funny because it's easy to say well, God, I wish I'd picked up that Black Lotus for under $100 when it was in the glass case or whatever, because it's worth whatever, 500000 now. But, you know, I was in high school, so $80 was kind of worth 100000 to me at the time. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it's all, it's I can't a... be too hard on myself for it. 
a hundred dollars when you don't have a job is a million. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But then I I'm did. just curious from your own collecting if you got any. Yeah, like, no, to, to cool answer your question, though, to answer your question, I just haven't looked because so I do have some old dual lands. I do have some unlimited cards. I do have some alpha and beta. They would be worth a lot of money if they were in good condition, but I beat the hell out of them playing them without sleeves and they are well, thrashed. We didn't really think to play with sleeves at the point. Yeah. Um, by the way, that's some people were, though, in those days. They were looking ahead and seeing the future. So the one ring card. Oh, wow. The one of one. I'm holding it up on camera now. It is written in Elvish. <laughs> um, and it is predicted to be the first million dollar magic card. And so that bounty is a joke. Can I ask us another question about playing and the, what, what you were saying, Brian? Because I, I, mm. I, I kind of look some of this up too. When you're talking like the early sets, I have a funny tangent. So I have some old mm. Dragon Ball Z cards in front of me. I've been going through my, my old card stuff too. Same point, not worth anything. My brother and I beat them to hell. Um, they released three sets in the same year. They're numbered at the top. Um, you cannot tell these damn things apart. So I hate it. But I was reading some about magic when you're playing because the sets might have differences in them, like the backs of the cards, whatever, or even you were saying corners, you could tell the difference. In like competitive play, right? That's some of like the later sleeves is to be able to hide the back to, so you couldn't basically card count. So when you're saying you like played to heck, were, was that in tournaments or anything where you were able to play cards that, you know, in theory you could like card count or whatever? Because if you could tell the difference between the the back, the backdrops, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, theoretically you could have done that back then, but people, most people didn't know about it and realize it. It took a few years for people to really stick because they designed the backs of the cards to be identical throughout all the sets. So you could play them with with each other, right? But people started to realize after a while that there were slight differences and people use that to cheat in tournaments. They would make like, say, four copies of one type of card that was really key to their deck, but make it be a different set that was weird printing from the other cards in their deck so they could see it coming up. People got banned for that before. People would get banned for putting little tick marks on their sleeves. Um, There's all kinds of complicated ways to cheat. So the answer is yes, that definitely happened. Oh yeah, people always try to find their way to 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 cheat the system, and and you know, you beat the shit out of them. You pound you pound their legs. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Bringing Tommy and Vito at the sack of doorknobs, right? I mean, kinda, yeah. Like there was never that. That is one of those things where I never really experienced that in Star Wars, or at least that I I saw it coming. But like, I certainly wasn't a person that you'd want to cheat against. <laughs> like a lot of a lot of stereotypes at that at those tournaments and and i'd show up looking kind of scary now i will definitely circle back to to some of that but then i was going to say i know we're we're past dark uh we're on to more of the lore so like what really happens is like there's so cards come out and things start coming in and and you have uh i think like there were very popular sets i think like ice age was an incredibly popular set um, probably the first set that came out that was really like, uh, they were all like popular, but like a hit. It was like, it, it was like a huge. So here's the big innovation about Ice Age. So first of all, it was um, a basic set with a big print run that wasn't as common back then, mm-hmm. but it was the first set that was designed for limited play. As in um, the starter decks were actually designed to play as a deck straight out of the pack. Before you get all these weird cards and they weren't really playable. So that's when sealed deck 
and format started taking off is because of the way they designed Ice Age. Yeah. And, and some of the more, because I remember like, you know, Ice Age to me, when I think about that, that there's like a card, like the Jester's Cap, that was like the oh, yeah. card of Ice Age. But then it found out that there was a card called uh, ne uh, Necropotence or Necropotence, however you want yep. to pronounce it, that ended up being such a dominant Necro card. Impotence, maybe? <laughs> No, yeah, necropotence. Yeah. Necropotence is the common yeah. pronunciation. Yeah. Um, that uh, this is the first set that I ever bought booster packs of, and I didn't realize that in tournament play, uh, they referred to the summer of 1996 as Black Summer. Yeah. Because everybody was playing necropotence, um, and for me, that was because I'm like a, I like to twist decks and stuff. That was the first time that I started to be like, I can fuck with people. I can manipulate their deck with my hand. Like that to me was the thing. It was sort of like in star Wars when I was playing Sabic and doing all these things where it was like, no, 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 I want to do something weird to fuck you up. And so I would do things like, you know, mix that up with, other cards like grinning totems and helm of obediences and things that were basically <laughs> like stealing cards from other people and yep. using them against them. I always thought was very funny. Um, but this was the ice age is the part where I went, okay, I can do star Wars and magic, the gathering at the same time and kind of pulled away from overpower. I was done with overpower with Marvel overpower. It was, it did what it wanted to do. And it, 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 was whatever but now from there we get homelands and this is the worst set that's ever been made to the point where apparently people got so angry at magic the gathering in general was to the coast that they took we talked about this earlier an eight months to uh release uh alliances which does is that great. line up both of you were this this is where you now both have the venn diagram of both of you playing does that yes. line up with with both of your memories no because i didn't play in tournament so i wasn't i wasn't i didn't get mad <laughs> yeah, and business wise too again they'd start printing big sets now so they printed a lot of homelands and nobody liked it and i think no one bought it i think it did very or business-wise. So that was kind of a brushback for Wizards of the Coast. Well, then there was a follow-up to that, which was that Wizards of the Coast implemented a pro rule that you had to play at least five cards from every set. Oh, um, interesting. And uh, in your decks. In order. In the pro tour is what you were saying and, on the script. And the obvious play was they oh, that's people right. to buy Homelands cards. That's right. I and, remember now. And that created a massively negative view of wizards of the coast because everyone's just like no you're just trying to sell your shitty stuff like you're trying to make us use your garbage and we're not going to do it the funny thing about homelands is there was one card that was super super busted it wasn't even a rare it was an uncommon i think serrated arrows everyone played yep. serrated arrows in every deck because of that rule you were talking about yeah that was yeah. the one homelands card now we we start moving forward and things start going and and I'm not going to I'm obviously not going to stop on everything but there are some there's an important thing to do um there was a a a weird kind of fixed set called Tempest that you could get as starter decks um so you could get fixed decks 
But what Tempest really introduced that was a big deal was slivers, which is a hive mind. Think aliens, uh, think, you know, 20th century Fox's aliens or Marvel's the brood uh, or, you know, it's an insect based kind of hive mind thing where every different version you have of something increases all of them. Um, it was a way to delineate and to break monocolor or dual color um, decks and to try to get people to get weird with it and to start being more experimental with how they play the game. Then we get to where I finished, which is what they call Urza's Block. Urza's Block was a series of three uh, that uh, over between 1998 and 1999 that were apparently so overpowered and so broken that rumor has it uh, that the entire R&D department got their asses handed to them by Wizards of the Coast for even releasing this set because it was just filled with broken cards that were so unbelievably powerful. And I'd never heard that rumor before that people got, or maybe it's true that people got their ass handed to them. So one thing is, there are super busted cards in all three sets of that cycle. So they just kept printing the busted cards for a full year or however long it took them to print all three. And yeah, so a lot of those cards just went into tournament play and were ridiculous and had to get banned. And then other decks would come up that were also broken because there were just other broken cards that were able to emerge. And then people had bought these cards because they were big money singles and they got banned so they couldn't use them. And yeah, that was a big to-do. Yeah. Um, I think this is interesting. Go, go, like Destiny basically created an entire gameplay mechanic that made cards essentially free. And they were like, how did this ever get out? Uh, like this card treachery, right? I think is like the well-known example of, of that. Um, and it was absolutely insane. So what do they do now? I'm done here because I'm off. I'm off to college. I've got to focus. I've got to do my shit. Um, so this is the rest of this is all just like kind of research stuff. So the next series, Mercadian Masks, is brought in to balance the game out. And because of that, because it's a, it's boring because it has to balance the game out. It's also incredibly unpopular um, that there wasn't much to it. And then. You know, we get to Legions, which is a uh, series that is literally only creatures. Which is a weird thing. And then we get 8th edition, which starts the modern era in format. And that's where I kind of step off. Is so, that I was going to say, interesting. So yeah, like you quit a little before, Brian. And it sounds like, yeah, it's very fascinating for like 2004 to be. That's wild that that, that, that era lines up for both of you. I mean, we're we're a similar age, right? I, mean, I think I'm, so. Yeah, I was born. In well, you said you started playing Star Wars at, when you were fourteen. That was yeah. That's about when I started playing Magic. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was born in eighty-one. So you know, y y you have that. I was born in the seventies. Jimmy Carter was my president. So you Jimmy know, Carter. same era. Yeah. So so that so we're you know, that's such a transitional part of life that to stick with it while you're trying to you know, go to school, study all the time or, or, you know, you're, I hate to say it this way, but sex is a thing that you start to establish. It's not to say that people that play Magic the Gathering don't have sex, but also you're investing your time and energy into other things. For me, um, 
you know, boxing would take up a lot of that time as well. Um, and just generally trying to make your way into the world as an adult. Um, and it's not to say that Magic the Gathering is not adult. Of course it is. Like, I still will play a pickup game if somebody's got decks and, and they play. Like, I get that. It's just when you're figuring shit out, sometimes things get tossed by the wayside. I was buying less and less comics. I, you know, like, it was really just Star Wars at that point in time for me. But you, you, so are you, do you still like keep track of like Magic the Gathering, Brian? Not at all. Um, really? It's funny. Some of my friends who are, you know, my age still play and I get invited every once in a while. I'm like, hell no, I'm just, I'm done with yeah. it. You know, eventually I got to the point where I might've said this already, maybe in the pre-show, but just, I just played that game for so long. I just wanted to play different games. It just had so Did many. You? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've been playing other games since then. Um, actually, okay, let me let me tell you a story from the old days of Magic the Gathering, real right. briefly in the Bay Area. Uh, so I, you know, joined this club at you know, UC Berkeley where I played the Magic Club, and we practiced and everything, and had tournaments, and started to get to know the guys. And they're like, yeah, you know. We're friends with the San Francisco people also. There's some game stores there we play at. There's this one guy we know. He makes all of his own magic cards. He just writes them himself and draws himself, and he makes full decks with his own cards. Like, wow, how about this guy? He's like, yeah, it's this guy called Donald X. We play magic with him. And if any if that rings a bell to anyone, years later, Donald X Vaccarino, I think is how you pronounce his last name, would go on to make the game Dominion, the first what's called a deck building game. That's different, you know, from wow. a collectible card game. That's where you're building the deck in the middle of the game as you play it with a collective pool of cards for yeah. all the players. Like a big, oh, cool. So once I started playing deck building games, whenever that was, you know, 2010, 2008, I'm like, I can't go back to collectible card games. It's an artifact of the past. Deck building games are just superior. I like playing deck building games more. I definitely have to use this as an interjection because both you and Jeff have now used the term both deck builders. And on the last episode of Nerd, we got to hear a lot about Jeff's mentality. I'm really curious about Brian, the deck builder, like the types of strategy. Because Jeff, you you sound like uh, you sound like Dre programmer in deck building mode. You like to mess with the worlds, find the barriers, find what you can mess with. I'm curious your perspective, Brian, when you were deck building in Magic and even now, what kind of strategies do you go for? Well, I think this is the Seth Burns segment right now is where we oh, talk perfect. about this. Um, yeah, so the the Seth Burns article that he sent us, and he, you know, for those who don't know, just bring it up, he's a guy from New York. He's now into, you know, fantasy gambling and sports betting and other stuff as well. But that's what he's known for now. But in the old days, he was a New York scene Magic the Gathering player guy and also wrote all these articles. And he brought it up. Um, he called it the elephant method of building a deck. So Magic the Gathering popularized this idea of the metagame. And what that means at the highest level is the game within the game, right? That's the literal meaning of that word. What it became to mean, uh, the version that was used in Magic the Gathering anyway, is that because this is a collectible card game and you're not playing with the same cards or pieces against every opponent every time, there's all these different types of decks you're gonna see in every tournament. You have to build your own deck based on what other types of decks 
you'll see it's not just winning the game one-on-one -on -one against your opponent. There's a bigger game of figuring out what to play. So that's how you go about deciding how to build a deck. You have to figure out, you have to go through this process, right? What, what is these new cards all about that I'm evaluating? How do they fit together? What are the good and bad ones? Yep. How do they form decks? And then how do those decks play against each other? What are good and bad? And yeah, I don't know how deep we want to go into his method right now, but my, so my view of that, and I think I discussed it on the star Wars episode is a lot of like, how can I surprise you with a card that you've never thought about and like that? And that was it. Like I said, my grail, my grail deck for a tournament is a working Jawa deck because <laughs> nobody uses them. And so like, if you never use them, you don't know how to beat whatever strategy is being used. And so yeah. that was my big thing. And I would do that with, um, with magic as well, where I'd be like, what can I do that? You're not going to, you're not going to be expecting it because you wouldn't use it. Um, and that would be that would, like, I would do sometimes where I'd do like a no creatures deck where I would literally just be like, how can I do this without making any creatures and try to like tweak it and have fun and do whatever. But that's also why I was never really a competitive magic player. It's funny story. I know the guy, well, I used to know the guy that made the first tournament competitive, no creature deck called the prison deck, Ernest Alexander from Santa Barbara. Um, it was the, it was a prison because it had winter orb, which tapped down everyone's land. So they couldn't untap it and cast spells. But then an icy manipulator, so you could tap the lands they were untapping, and just everyone got shut down. So yeah, there's so many strategies. Yeah, it, it's it, it's interesting to see how you can sort of it, there, there's like a a judo aspect to it, like a or or an aikido, like using other people's abilities against them. I think really help. Now, so like we start around this era there's uh there are there's a video games that are coming out uh they start to do uh magic online is being a thing um collectible online playing cards which i kind of view as like the early nft um because i remember i bought one of my brothers because he was he got back into magic gathering around magic 10 and i was like okay great here i'll buy you a box of boosters for your for your birthday when I first read about NFTs, what it was, I'm like, oh, this is World of Warcraft. In a way, yeah. 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 Magically. And my brother ended up selling all of his cards so he could invest it in the online play. And I was like, cool. You know, the cards are going to be the ones that last, though, right? Like it was one of those things where I was like, you know, that those are the ones that were worth money, though, right? Like I paid a I paid money for that. And now you're just buying stuff online that are digital cards. Uh, and he's like, yeah, but if, if I'm just having my own cards, who am I playing with? And I'm like, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, but I love it, all aspects of that back and forth of the like, is this an investment? Is this a hobby? Is this a social thing? Yeah, I'm that kind hits, of a, that hits all ends of the nerd debate there. I I'm, love that. I, I'm realizing in the conversation that I was the bad guy in my reaction to that. But it was just, I was so bummed that he just sold the stuff I got him so he could do the same thing online. But then I guess it makes sense that he, I wanted him to enjoy the game. It's not about, 
buying a, a booster box of Magic 10 for him. It's about helping him play the game the way he wants to play the game. But speaking to the addiction, which not which only two thirds of the call have, like, or actually maybe I'm curious about this, Brian. So like breaking a pack of cards, man, that feeling. And I'm curious because you didn't have it for sports cards, but for like magic cards or any other games, Brian, does that, does that fit? Like the nostalgic nature of opening a pack of cards. Like if Jeff were able to throw or drive 20 hours because California is a huge freaking state and drop one of those off at yours and you were able to like open it. Does that, that actually get that like dopamine hit it? It is, it is freaky how that still works like 20 years after I stopped collecting. Yeah, I hate to say this. So I actually played Hearthstone for a long time. That's like the last uh, style game like that that I played. And in Hearthstone, at the beginning of the season, you had to get a bunch of packs and open them and try to make the new set right. And yeah, people would, it's a huge deal on like Twitch streaming, right? The pro players in Hearthstone were like, okay, it's beginning of the set. Watch me open 200 packs or whatever. And for me, when I had to open packs, I'm like, oh, this is such a chore. Why can't I just pick <laughs> one button and open them all? <laughs> really? A total blaspheme, I know. It, so the physical cards, I think, are different than a digital card like Hearthstone. Um, opening physical packs, I did like a little bit more. Okay, yeah, that also, I, I'll actually give you, that's funny, I 100% agree, because like, as a programmer, the second you put an interface of anything in front of me, this is how... Uh, the weights of wind stuff that we met each other with on Brian, like box core geeks. I was like, I cannot keep doing this on a spreadsheet. I refuse to do this. I'm going to write code to do all this basketball statistics for me. So the same thing, if I'm playing something online, I'm like, Oh my God, why can't I just write a macro? But if I'm playing a physical card game, physical CCG, physical trading, like I want to open the pack. I don't know. Yeah. That's all part of it. I mean, I wish I had those instincts because then maybe my old cards would still be around and in better shape, but I just totally, you know, forsook the collecting aspect of it. Yeah, it, it is interesting as I look at, like, I bought these uh, guilds of Ravinica cards and apparently I have no idea what's going on with these. I know that they introduced, um, around this time, they start introducing Mythic Rarity, um, where it was used to be common, uncommon, and rare, and now we have Mythic which, I mean, the best example for something like that. I th I'm assuming Mythic was one per box. Um, so that was one of the first sets that came out after I quit. Yeah. And that, knowing there was Mythic now, thank God I quit. I would have been so pissed off as a non-collector to play. Yeah, well, that's the other part, too, because like what the big shift that came when we left was the addition of what they call Planeswalkers. Yeah. Now, Planeswalkers are sort of like the way it was described to me, and I don't know if this is particularly accurate, but they're like your allies while you're mm -hmm. playing. They're not a spell the way the other creatures that you would um, that you would deal with are uh, an issue, I guess. Yeah, it, it's funny because all the other card types, you know, yeah, summon which are creatures, instants, there used to be interrupts. I think those are just instants now. There's enchantments, artifacts. I think that's pretty much it. And each of those different types of cards had counters to them. Like you could destroy an artifact or enchantment with a disenchant. You could kill a small creature with a lightning bolt, whatever. Different play and counterplay. The Planeswalker was a new type of card, which hadn't been introduced in a long time. Maybe there hadn't been any new types up until that point. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. But then also it existed kind of outside of that play and counterplay aspect. Like there weren't, at least when they first came out, there wasn't like destroy a Planeswalker card. 
it was kind of like a side thing that you would do maybe closer to Star Wars or another game. Um, but yeah, it was unique kind of story-driven benefits because the Planeswalkers, unlike the earlier days we were talking about where they were borrowing from Arabian Nights or just had random characters, by this point, all the uh, Magic the Gathering characters, there's novels and everything, there's Comics, book series, yeah. people know all these characters, so let's make them big and fancy, let's make them Planeswalkers. And a lot for Planeswalkers, there would be like, uh, there's a small effect you could get to add counters to it. There's a medium-sized effect where you'd remove some counters to get, and there, there's the big beating coup de grace. Like after many turns, you could remove all the counters and it would win the game in some way. So yeah. that was kind of the Planeswalker thing. Yeah, it, it is really interesting to like view how that, how it goes in. Cause it's still very popular, like Magic the Gathering, which is obviously like if you remove yourself from it, it's kind of in the back of your head. You're like, oh yeah, I used to play Magic. And um, one of the things that's interesting, when I went into the store that I went to, it's a store called Emerald Knights. I went in here and I talked to the guy and the guy loved to talk. It was 11 a.m. They had just opened. I'm the only person. I'm telling him about the show and I tell him this is what I'm doing. And he we, we were talking a lot about like Comic Cons and stuff. But I noticed above the comics on the wall that he had a schedule. And so I'm going to read the schedule off. Sunday, Magic, Modern, 12, Entry, $7. Okay, perfect. They, they, Sunday, they have tournaments at noon. Monday, we're closed. Tuesday, Magic, Commander, 5 p.m., $5. Wednesday, Digimon. Thursday, Pokemon. Kids, 3 p.m., Masters, 6 p.m. Friday night, Magic, obviously. And then Saturday, they're like, check our schedule because we have a lot of events on Saturday because we're a comic book store. Um, but so that means about half of the entire week, well, more than half because they're closed on Monday, uh, is Magic the Gathering themed. So like this is clearly a thing that is not pumping the brakes anytime soon. I am glad that I am not still addicted to Magic the Gathering. Uh, I would be broke. I would have none money. I talked about it on the last episode. Star Wars, it died 20 years ago. The cards are worth a fortune now. They're worth so much more than they were when the game was out because people are just ravenous for it. Mm. Magic has been, magic never stopped. It right. just evolved. And, you know, when we look at what they're doing, because it's now, you know, Wizards of the Coast was acquired by Hasbro. And Wizards of the Coast bought Dungeons and Dragons in what 2010? Something like that. They Sounds bought right. they bought Dungeons and Dragons and they were like, all right, we're we're gonna make this a thing. Uh, what a hell of an investment, by the way, because Dungeons and Dragons mm. wasn't shit in the 2000s. Like it it was not what it is now. They weren't making Netflix shows about playing D and D in the eight, like it just wasn't a thing. So Wizards of the Coast bought Dungeons and Dragons. That was fitting, you know. Card games might as well do role playing games. You know, we have we have everything. And um, it, I forget the name of the company that they were before. It was like some uh, TSR. TSR. That's what it was. Yeah. I was like, I was trying to be like Czar. No, that's not right. <laughs> So, okay, so then Hasbro buys them. And now Hasbro is obviously 
these companies, you know, Wizards of the Coast, they want to make money, but they wanted to make money their way. Hasbro is like, we're we're Hasbro, bro. We got bro in the name. We're going to make money. And we're going to make money however we want to do it. And that's why you start seeing Street Fighter, Dungeons and Dragons. And it's like Dungeons and Dragons, the movie, because they're like, go see that fucking movie. That's funny. We got to make money. Go see our movie. Um, you know, so you have Street Fighter 2, you have Dungeons and Dragons, you have, um, you know, the Lord of the Rings coming out. And it's just like, well, we we have the rights to these properties or we can do that. This will bring more people in. Some people that love Lord of the Rings haven't played a card game since Lord of the Rings. Why not bring them in? If if they like it with this set, maybe they'll start buying more magic. You know, it's. We are now at a point where a game has existed for 30 years where there is going to be a conflict. And that conflict is between people that have been playing this game for 30 years and people that need to learn how to play this game without being chased out of it. All nerd markets are like this. Comics is the same way. There's a reason Marvel and DC have to reboot shit every once in a while. Because comics are terrifying if you're new. And card games are the same. Like, I have history with this. Buying these packs of cards was the most stressful thing that I've done in a very long time. There were like 25 different expansions on the wall. And I looked at the dude and I was like, I don't know what to do here. Like, what do I do? I was that guy. I was the dad. Oh, can shit. I ask the can I ask the can I ask the people the question like the yeah, the yeah. room? I'm really curious because same exact thing, right? I came into this Star Wars CCG person, a bunch of my friends, a line I hear a bunch of, oh yeah, I still have some of my old magic cards, right? That's just a common line with people our age with friends we have. And so when I went looking to the history, same as you, Jeff, I was like, okay, so I'm used to Star Wars CCG. You get like one or two expansions a year been going for a while so they probably have more than that but how many every three I found or four months you get it and then i found and i was like how big are the expansions because like for me one of the weird things star wars ccg now back into the basketball trading card landscape i'm like i want the whole set i got a binder of 1994 yeah. i want to fill up i want to keep filling up by the way that's that. a very easy set to complete the 1990 yeah, yeah. 198 cards 258 if i want to i did buy the rookie replacement pack for gary payton 198 um, I, I, cards, I, you said? Yeah. That's going to cost you roughly, what, $3.96? If I wanted to, like, it, online, if I wanted to buy the whole thing. But, you know, I want the joy. This is very scrapbooky. <laughs> I want to open yeah. the packs and grab each one on my own. It's a game to me. It's Pokemon, but yeah, it's fun. in card form. I, I agree. But I'm you curious. Know what else like, is Pokemon in card form? The next yeah, episode Pokemon. of Nerd. I'm curious about that. We'll, we'll talk about that, because I think it's on the dock, but I'm curious, like, I'm already out of the loop on magic and we're talking about, you know, Star Wars CCG magic than Pokemon. I wasn't in it at all. I have some, but we'll, but we'll see. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll talk, we can more talk about... about that because that, that, that's going to be really interesting, but we're not there right now. Uh, yeah. Brian, but I was like, curious. Yeah. Brian, yeah. The, um, the, the expansion sets, how big are the expansions? If you were a collector and wanted to get them all, it sounds like there are some like ultra rare cards that'd be like one of a box or, or you might not be able to find, but like, it seems just daunting to have so many expansions coming in so regularly. How many cards are in the expansion and how hard is it to like get what you need out of that as a, as a professional player? 
I mean, my, so my experience was with my college friends. Um, we were all broke. We just got cards however we could. We try to win small tournaments and win boxes that way. Um, yeah, like you get boxes for winning the pre-release or whatever. We would share cards and pull them together and try to like make our decks together out of all the cards we had, you know, simultaneously. So, um, yeah, the short answer is it's always been very expensive and difficult to do, and that's Wizards of the Coast business model, right? It makes them a lot of money. Yeah. What What was the last? Because here's something that I've done, and I don't know when was the last time you bought a Magic the Gathering card. Was it? when you decided to stop in 2004 or have you revisited no that that was probably it that um no i probably played some random stuff here and there might have played in one tournament after that but yeah i mean 2006 i don't know 2005 something like that i find that interesting though because for example like buying these and having them in and i, I described this you know I, I look at pack breaking and I look at packs of trading cards in general as Schrodinger's pack where, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the black Lotus is in here until it's not, you know, kind of a thing. And there is that sort of low key obsession with it where when I, I bought some cards, I bought, I think like three packs of cards earlier this morning. And then I went out this afternoon and bought four more. Because I was like, this is going to be too much fun. I'm very excited about it. And that's a problem. You okay, know? so let me say one thing, though. I'm I'm kind of selling it short a little bit. Yeah. So when we were all playing and preparing for the Grand Prix and the Pro Tours and whatever, we, there was all these different formats, right? You were mentioning some of them when you were talking about the local tournament schedule there. So we, And we practiced the big ones. So the way you do it is you get a box of packs and then you draft them. You do an eight-person draft or whatever, six-person, and then there, you know, you there could be it could be for money or it could be winner keeps the cards or whatever. Yeah. But then um, practicing the drafts with your friends and then using those cards to build your constructed decks afterwards—that's a thing people would in that ecosystem. That's something that I I miss fucking around. And, and like on a Friday night after school, going to my friend's house, we all go through our, and we try to make weird decks and we try to see, can, you know, can my bounty hunter deck beat your musician deck in star Wars or something like that? Or like, and with magic doing the same thing, like I do, there's something to be said about that. And I'm actually really jealous that people still do that. Like I'm jealous of, Friday night magic and all these things that it wouldn't be fun for me to do it because I'm competitive. I don't have Friday nights available. Um, if I'm competitive, but I can't compete because I don't have the cards, that is, that's like prison to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I like things are funny to me, but I am kind of competitive. So if I were to go to Friday night magic, the only way I do it, would be the way that I told you I don't respect would be somebody else make a deck for me. <laughs> and so like that to me, I'm like, well, I'm not going to do it. Um, and I'm that way in that, like that weird twisted sense of caring where somebody just, I'll put it this way. Somebody on my Patreon just updated their account to be a producer on one of my shows. 
I already recorded the shows for this month, so he's paying a premium. Hey, let's shout it out here. You can do it on Nerd. Uh, so it, it is Andrew, Andrew House Nemesis McGuire, who um, we interact on Instagram all the time. And I was like, hey, don't update it until after the billing cycle is over, because I already recorded this. And the reply is something that Dre would have said, which is like, dude, shut up. He was a producer of Hypecast Forever. And at one point on Twitter and the before times when it was better, I saw an Andrew McGuire answer something. I literally said, hey, are you the producer? Because I recognize your name because I've heard it forever. <laughs> so that is a perfect producer. I'm, I'm glad to have him on, on Nerd. Um, again, I agree with him. Shut up. <laughs> I told him, I was like, dude, maybe just for this one time, upgrade to the rookie card group and I can send you stuff and then bring it back down so you actually get value for them. And he's like, dude, shut up. But so like what I'm saying is like, I have this twisted sense of justice where if somebody else were to build a deck for me, I wouldn't feel like I accomplished anything if I won with it. And <laughs> not by miss it. I miss playing. I'm going to say I'm jealous of Brian, though, of being able to have like similar, like my wife doesn't have a sweet tooth. I have a sweet tooth, obviously. And then she's Same. just like, oh, yeah, I just I just don't uh, I don't really crave this. And I'm like, I am so jealous yeah. of you that you were like, oh, I just cold turkeyed it. And I was just sitting there and I'm just like, I need a paper bag to breathe into here because I couldn't. I've left so many hobbies and come back to them because I'm just like, mm. oh, I felt so good though. And like opening a pack of cards feels so good. Mm -hmm. So my follow-up question to this, Brian, is do you collect anything? No, I, I really don't. I just don't. So are you like an experiences guy? Like, are you just floating in the ether of existence? No, I think I'm all about the game and, okay. and winning. Um, because, I mean, the way I look at it is the tournaments I was playing in, they're just, it was so hard to win that you would, trying to do it on your own, you could never do it, is the way I'd put it. Really? Like, it just took so much. It just took so much work from so many different people, sometimes people in different parts of the world together, just to get to that point where you could have the best deck, the most practice and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are people that have done it, but in general, it was always players on teams that would win. I see that. Yeah. The, the overlaps of your two stories, both on magic and CCG, your experiences, what you saw issues. It, it, it's, this is like the, the weirdest thing ever. So Brian talked a little about Seth Byrne and these weird overlaps of nerd things. Cause right. It's just like, Seth Burns, someone that I'm 90% uh, certain we started following each other because of basketball. And we talk a lot. And then randomly, Brian's just like, oh, yeah, he's like a really good magic player from back in the day. I'm like, oh, 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 really? <laughs> and that kind of happens in these nerd spheres, these really weird Venn diagrams. And to, again, kind of by happenstance with both of you, with uh, Brian for Box Score Geeks, it was randomly when we're talking like collecting. One thing Brian did is like, I really like your podcast, which was very intermittent because as you know, Jeff, it's hard to do a podcast. He's like, I'll, I'll produce it if you would like some help. And I was like, oh, wow, absolutely. And we've been doing that forever now. And then there is the hope with both. You're nerds. missing one part of that though, Dre. I said, I don't know how to do this, but I'll figure it out and we can try giving it a go. So it was a little bit dicey, but no, it we was made amazing. it work. It worked, and, didn't and it? I, it worked. I am shocked. And I mean, I, I feel bad. I'll, I'll throw this out. I've, I've brought this up on other, like, I'm like talking with my friend playing video games now. I'm starting to get more time to be able to do this. I was like, 
COVID plus a kid, I felt really bad the last few years. And I'm starting to, you know, slowly start to see the light and have more time to do this geeky stuff. But it is wild to have the two people that I kind of happenstance into producing with, uh, producing podcasting with. Jeff's was much more easy with just like, hey, if you want to sign up on a Patreon, you can do this. And there is one other out there. So go for it. That much is, uh, we, we do have one more slot open. Uh, I, my suggestion to people is if you ever want to do a one-off, that's the perfect uh, opportunity to that. Because I know, obviously, like a long-term thing, like that is a big investment. But some people, I always say, like, if you want to do, if you ever want to do a one-off podcast, even if you don't want to have to wait until the payment system goes through, I can figure it out. I'm the guy. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> you just can Venmo me the money for all I care. We'll figure it out. But, um, but it is it is ridiculous that both of you have like a parallel story and similar things. And that happens a lot in some of these nerd circles where you like become friends because of magic or become friends because of basketball. And then just randomly out of nowhere, the person's like, oh, yeah, do you know, I did this other thing. And you're like, wait, wait, what? Excuse me? Dude, you, they, like there's weirder, like the happenstance of weirdness and in, in stuff like in L.A., I'll put it this way. I've gotten paid work. Because somebody that I went to high school with went to a burlesque show I was performing on. And we didn't recognize each other because we looked so different from high school that we were having a conversation. And it clicked. That was like, oh, my God, you're this person that I actually know. He had changed his name and lost weight. I had lost 70 pounds at that point in time. And we were 3000 miles away from home. Uh, and then we started talking next thing, you know, I was just hosting, I was hosting a wrestling themed burlesque show with him where he was Vince McMahon and I was Jesse, the body Ventura, like that's like the way the world fits, like think of it like Tetris, not every block is the same or is going to fall in the same spot, but you're still going to be knocking lines out. Like not everything fits perfectly, but sometimes you meet people that you're like, oh my God, I used to play this too. Or I used to do this too. Or I also like a good example for that, Dre, is when Adam and I started opening packs trading cards, which was something that I suggested to Adam. You know, this was my idea. I said, let's open sports cards on camera. Uh, and we started doing that. One of his patrons is the wife of the guy that owned the sports card store that he used to go to as a kid. <laughs> because of what we did, she went to the garage, pulled some packs of cards and started opening and said, there's so much more fun to do when you're not doing it as a job. But Brian, you got to know this story because this, this was shared on an unpopular opinion episode, but I got to share it. So mm. at this sports card collectible shop, Adam bought enough stuff. He was a baseball guy. It's fine. We forgive him. Um, that the, the, the sports card guy gave them some free packs of cards, including they would have had to have been Fleer or something, but some packs of basketball cards. And one of them had a Magic Johnson rookie card in it. Obviously still doesn't have it. Somebody at the store tried to scam him out of it immediately, not knowing that Adam Todd Brown was a collector of new stuff. But Adam Todd Brown pulled a Magic Johnson rookie card at one point, which is just that's, oh, my God. And that is pro. I, 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 the 90 Fleer I found, I was excited about. 
And I went, okay, well, let's go back a year or two. And oh my God, in the eighties, we're sets of basketball cards. Those are worth all like, of them. Like money. you, yeah. you might as just buy, might as well buy a car. Hey, like, how much for 86 clear? How much is that? Ridiculous. I'm going to look that up right now. $30,000 for the set. So, um, Dre, uh, pa partially for you here. Um, I would like you to know that I am wearing my Larry Bird socks. Hold on one second. I have Larry Bird socks on. Hold on. Ready? So these are my Larry Bird socks. I don't know if you can see them. Oh, yeah, we can see it. We can see his face. Can you see? Let me block the light. A Much little like bit. Bill Murray would say, he's he's kind of transparent on those, Jeff. But also... These shoes right here. Oh, nice. Oh, this is too cool. Brian, Jeff, you tell him. Those are Carmelo Anthony's shoes. Uh, Those are the shoes that I bought at Goodwill that were donated like right before I walked into Goodwill by Carmelo Anthony. So um, funny. Size 14 Jordans. He and I have the same shoe size. Uh, so that's weird. And it's weird to bring up Carmelo Anthony in a Magic the Gathering uh, thing because that Venn diagram are two circles that are very far apart. You know, guys, I heard through the uh, the grapevine, Wizards of the Coast and the NBA collaboration after Lord of the Rings. There it is. We could have Carmelo. Wouldn't that be maybe, so maybe funny? I'm gonna if if there is ever a Carmelo Anthony Magic the Gathering card, I am gonna have to find a way to get that, which makes me upset. Now, my brother, uh, my recent brother Dan, got married. Uh, geez, would have been last year. Was it last year or two years ago? I forget. I went home for the wedding. I think it was last year. Uh, and the one of the party favors, because they are a Magic the Gathering couple. Oh, goodness. That they and I wish I wish I brought them into the room. They're they're in the other room, but they had cards that they designed of each other. Where they were <laughs> like they're they each had their own like. Art and lore and abilities. Uh, I think Dan was like, uh, because he's he's really good at tinkering and he fixes computers and stuff that he was like some sort of like tinkering alchemist kind of a thing, like an artifacts guy. And it was really interesting. Like I saw that and I was like, God, this is so cool. And like 10 percent of the guests understand what this is. But I was one of them. That's how you got to do weddings. You can't you can't cater to everyone. No, no. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't cater weddings at all. Wait, what? Right. Oh, no, no. That's, that's oh, no, no, no. I, I, I have opinions. Like, I literally grade the weddings I have gone to in my life by how good the food was. Uh, the best one being where they had a buffet-style wedding where they had the food brought out into the four corners, and we all had to sit and wait because they were taking photos. And then I have no regrets about this. This is probably going to get cut, by the way, but I have no regrets oh, about this. I want it. Oh, well, okay. We'll see if we leave it in. Leave it in. Um, they inadvertently asked our table to join the line. They thought they were asking like the bride and the groom, the, you know, extended. And we got into line early. And normally I'm kind of a stickler for the rules. And we're like, we really shouldn't be in line. I was like, you've had me waiting an hour and a half for food There's no with rules. the food in the room. I am staying in line. Funny story. Nobody's going to remember that but you. So don't worry about it. No, I'm, um, I'm going the other way. I'm saying if they ever come back. And then like one of the best weddings I ever went to, like had a straight line straight through, double-sided, amazing, amazing set of food. Like 
good buffets with good stuff. There's like a barbecue one where they have like a pig that they did. That's good. Always have, if you're going to do a wedding. dead animal at, at the wedding. Yeah. If it tastes good, man. Tastes so good. like my wedding first, uh, the food was so good. It was at this place called the public house. It's a very new Englandy place. And, and it was very fancy. It was a winter wedding. And we had like our meat options were like, one was like a Turkey dinner that was just bomb as hell. And the other one was fish because it was New England. Um, and then the vegetarian option. So it was all white meats. Like we didn't do a red meat option because who gives a shit? Um, but our cake was so fucking good. It was a chocolate cake with raspberry filling and a chocolate icing with candy snowflakes on it because it was a night wedding in the winter. And the amount of dipshit relatives that were clutching their pearls at the fact that we didn't have a white cake and I finally had to say something to, I think it was her grandmother. And I said, oh, you got your wedding cake. This is our wedding cake. Hell they yeah. They finally had to be like, no, no, no. You already did your fucking wedding. This is our wedding. And if you don't like it, don't eat it because of the fucking cake. Get out of here. It fucking ruled. And everybody that ate the cake was like, it's the best fucking cake I ever had. So apologies. I, I, I want to make sure Brian gets some words in, but I'll, I'll jump yeah, in sorry. here. Our wedding, my wife, I don't care. I'm hogging the mic. I, I'm, I'm not married, fun. so go. I, I'm Hell yeah, you just like to eat the, eat the cakes, man. <laughs> At right. our wedding, we had a Bavarian, two Bavarian sheet cakes, like a chocolate one and like a, a flavored one, like a fruit, some kind of whatever. And I'm bitter. You can see I hold a grudge, Jeff, on stuff like this. Of course, yeah. We, bought enough, for, we bought enough for leftovers. And the cake was so good that I have heard since, and I don't know who, I can't look them up, but I've heard since that multiple relatives were like going back for seconds or grabbing other people's that they didn't want. And so we had no leftover cake and I was expecting leftover cake. And so I don't know who they are. So I can't hold an official grudge, but like, no, if you were at my wedding and you took more than your allotment of cake, so I got no leftover cake from that wedding and that, that bakery is now shut. Still holding the grudge about it. I'm going to do a counter later. on that. You should be grateful for those people because that means you didn't, have to eat leftover cake it but i wanted a cake well yeah sure but you could have had a, you could have had more could have gotten more if you wanted well it closed anyway okay all right so i mean like give I, me three I, pieces of cake before you serve these fuckers i should no, i should I, I didn't think about that in hindsight i uh, if i ever get a time you, machine man. back back to my wedding get more cake now that's that's what i'll do instead but, of yeah, fighting anyway, over the pieces of the pie you make a bigger pie all right get we went back on our on our first anniversary. We went back and they gave us the cake again. They they like gave us they made the like the top of the cake again because we were like, we're going to freeze this and, and put it in our freezer and eat it. And they said, just come back. They were like, don't do that. It sucks. That tradition sucks. And it's like they're like, we're not going anywhere. We've been open for like 300 years. Uh, they were like, we're fine. Like, you're good. And then uh, we got divorced anyway. Which is funny. All right. So we, if we're talking the wedding cake stories, we've this clearly, is which is fine. No, this, this, all the way from magic a bit. Yeah. But I, um, I will stress this has exceeded my expectations. It, it is wild to me to have like parallel episodes, which I was not expecting when I went into this. When I started with the Star Wars CCG premise, I was like, oh, we'll talk about how like I learned about collecting and how you penny sleeves and then. You're like, I moneyballed Star Wars CCG. And then Brian, same point where you've, you've, you've hinted at this for years and then you've lived up to what you have hinted. So it, it is freaking wild. Uh, but yeah, any I keep uh, penny sleeves right next to my, uh, right next to me. Yeah. 
Those penny sleeves are the ones you use to cheat with in Magic, right? Because the backs are different. Yeah, exactly. That's what that was one of the wild things I was looking at. But I was going to say, any last thoughts on Magic, Brian? And we can then we can wind down, and editor me will hate to see how much cake I have to cut in the future. <laughs> no, I mean it was it was a great time. Like you know, I didn't realize that it was a, you know very close to being a ten year period. It was kind of natural, and I met a lot of good people. And you know, I traveled a little bit, right? I even um, I guess here's my last story is I didn't play, you know, I didn't have a ton of success in the pro tour, but one pro tour I did play in was the infamous um, September 9th, uh, 2001 in New York pro tour. And yeah, it happened right before the towers went down. So, you know, got to see the towers right before it happened. It's just, you know, one of those life experiences, I'd, I'd say. And, and how'd nothing. you do? And, and how'd you? And how'd you do in the tour? How what was your performance like? Yeah, so that tournament, my like team worst thing it. that happened the whole week. My team missed day two because I made a mistake <laughs> and let the team. Oh. So that wasn't great. But see, that nine eleven happened, and the pressure was off me, so it was fine. That'd be funny if they were still like ragging you for it. They probably would. You're, oh you're like, wow! Yeah. Yeah, they'd be like, you know, I would have, I would have been because like, we flew, we flew out to New York from the West Coast, and then I make this play, right? Like it's a lot. Oh, went so, into that. so, th so this was specific. You in the game, it was just like four person, and then you're just saying it, you you lost your game. It wasn't like a mistake logistically. It was just an in play mistake. Yeah, was, the situation was my opponent was coincidentally was trying to do one of the, like get me with the rules lowering thing. Yeah. He called the judge over and is trying to get me to get a game loss. I agree with the judge. I won the argument. The judge ruled my favor. But then all this stuff had happened. I lost track of the game. I missed the lethal attack. My team lost. You know, in a situation like that, when he was trying to do that, when you get back to playing, are, are you kind of like, you're like, all right, yeah, back to playing. So you're a huge fucking asshole, right? Like, did you, were you saying that when you were playing? Because that's 100% how I would have played. I'm like, you're a piece of shit, right? You know, it's funny because I was so used to that. I didn't care. I mean, yes, I thought, that, but I was like, okay, yeah. this is just part of the game. This is part of the game. Oh, I mean, there was this stuff. one guy that would like challenge me to fights in the middle of drafts and stuff. Like, like you were saying, it gets, it got a little crazier than that. There's this guy in France that, or Italy that did beat up some judges in the old days. Jeez. By the Man, way, uh, I would have, I would have loved, I would have loved a situation like that. Because I, I would just been like, yeah, let's well, all right, yeah, let, we should probably fight now. Do you think you're gonna win the tournament because of the fight? Is that how you think this is gonna work? It's like chess boxing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, chess boxing. Oh man, if if there was more money, Jeff, I think we could make a chess boxing team. Uh, I'm too old for to, for chess boxing. I'm I'm. You have you out. seen chess players anyway? <laughs> it's not the chess aspect of this that I'm worried about, Dre. I don't know. <laughs> No, I I would be. I'm saying the chess aspects, getting you up to speed on the chess would be the hard, like myself yeah. included. Like, that's the hard part. Okay, Brian, as I am want to do, speaking yeah. of chess. Yeah, oh, thanks. That gets mixed. As I am want to do, Brian, got to add this in. You know, this is a nerd podcast officially, but, you know, box score geeks, right? Crossover. Always got to bring up chess. Allegedly, this same kind of thing just happened as we're speaking in the World Chess Championship between Ding Loren and Yam Nepomneshi. Uh, where apparently Jan was These just guys are like both British, uh, of course, clearly. 
Um, yeah, if you if you know any more, I'll be impressed. I should start asking you questions to see what you know about them. And you'll probably just go with the anal bead story because that's the thing that took the internet by storm uh, recently. <laughs> but um, but Yana Pomnashi was like against the ropes. Like he was just like really massive attack from Ding. And the cool thing is he got out of it, right? Like he escaped and then he blunders and lost. And like they were asking Anish Giri, another top 10 and British player for what it's worth, Jeff. Clearly Ooh, British, right? Anish he's, Giri. He's, he's Dutch. He's Dutch. <laughs> I mean, they're, yeah, they're all clearly not British. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like the most famous British chess players, an asshole and a jerk, and no one likes him. But anyway, so and he's hasn't been competitive in years, regardless. But uh, that man, Anish Gary was was Charles. giving. Oh yeah, him too. Uh, but Anish Gary was giving the. <laughs> I the thought feet. that was the. <laughs> oh, Jeff, come on, update your history. Um, Charles is his name. Hell yeah! All right, this I'm impressed by the two. That's some nice like ping pong back. But Anish Gary was giving the feedback of you know. You're playing, you get really stressed, and then you have this like instant of relief. And that relief lets you take the foot off the gas, and that's how you can fall apart. Mm. And so it almost sounds mm. like you're like basically I'm I'm comparing you to Jan Napomnishi, the two-time world championship challenger. Hasn't won it yet, but challenging twice. Exact same. You and him, same situation, stressful situation, get out of it fine. And then because you're briefly lured into a false sense of security, you uh, cause 9-11. Get, get, yeah. get hit. Oh. That's right. Yeah. It is. Although, if, if you had done that differently, 9-11 might not have happened. You know, as far as I know, no Magic players from that tournament, even though there are hundreds of them, died in 9-11. And I always, the way I always put it is because, because we're such big nerds, we took the red eye home or we took you know, a later afternoon flight the next day. No one took that first flight in the morning that they hijacked. We were just nerds. They were hanging out with Mark Wahlberg. I, I was I was not expecting this level. This was not a direction I was expecting. To you know, you don't start doing an episode about the history and lore and our experiences with Magic the Gathering. You don't think it's going to be as 9-11 heavy as it is. But when I'm on a podcast, it's never not an option. And this wasn't you, though. You weren't the start of it. So no, 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 that's no, no. no. It, it, it really the, is a twist. Yeah, that's the Brian, the right Brian Foster run it, man. The, the music hit. And I was like, this came out of nowhere. You shyamalan me, Brian. That's right. You know, I was that's not expecting right. if people were taking bets uh, in the stats, you were not the one that they were expecting to bring 9-11 up. That was that was I all saw two. six cents in the theater when the twist finally happened. I'm like, thank God something's happening. This is such a boring movie. Like something's got to happen to redeem this pile yeah. and then they're like oh this movie is successful i can't wait to make a bunch of bad ones after this yeah, that cover the same structure yeah. um i'm really glad we got to do this magic the gathering was a very good piece of my sort of late childhood i'm glad that i got to be involved with it i'm glad to hear your experiences with it um the fact that you were so competitive you were competitive in a collegiate team i think is really neat um, it's not something it's like when I tell people I'm in a pinball league or when Dre says out of nowhere that he was in a goddamn laser tag league where you're like, Oh shit, I didn't know they did that. Uh, and so I'm really stoked about that. I really do like that a lot. It's all about Absolutely. the community. Yeah. Well, that's going to say, I'm used to just plugging our stuff, Brian, but is there anything beyond that that you'd like to plug at the end? Have you found any other social networks? Are we just sticking Twitter for now? I got nothing. Shout out to you guys. 
<laughs> All right. So before that, though, box score Brian on Twitter. Hopefully, more. We we've been keeping up about that biweekly, and we both got t- on the box score geek show. Brian and I have been keeping up biweekly, and and had some some hot fire stuff. I got to see a hot take die in real time on the last show, where I said Joel Embiid had no shot of winning the MVP, and then your Boston Celtics Jeff gave it to him. The Boston Celtics are the reason Joel Embiid's going to win MVP. I got to tell you, Boston sports right now is either, hey, this team is great, or this is the worst team I've ever seen. Uh, And so right now we are currently in the middle of the Red Sox being the worst team in baseball and the Bruins being the best team that has ever played hockey. And I find that fascinating. And the Celtics are doing okay, too. Celtics are what second in the second in the conference out east. Yeah. And yep. to be so, fair, they probably should be first. They just they were first most of the year. Yeah, yeah. They just long term it, it it isn't working for them. But I love me the Celtics. Uh Brian, I really appreciate that you came on. Thanks uh, for having me. I mean, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Dre. But yeah, but Box for Geek show that you can uh, you, you basically look on iTunes, Stitcher, then channel nerd numbers and twitch.tv forward slash nerd numbers about every two weeks. We typically go Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Central, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, and then Jeff, let's 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 see. Let's see. Are, are you on your game? Are you going to be able to do all your outro plugs like normal? Let's see. <clears throat> well, I don't know if you know this about me, but I have cool friends and I have a show called Jeff Has Cool Friends, which you can hear for free every other week. Or if you want early access to uncensored episodes with bonus content, head on over to patreon.com slash Jeff May, where you can get not only Jeff has cool friends, but you can get access to monthly shows like Ugg Fine with Kim Crawl, as well as access to Nerd with Dre Alvarez, which is also available for free, but I prefer you listen to it on the Patreon. Uh, if you like stuff like that, you might as well head on over to Unpopular Opinion, where you can uh, hear me and Adam Todd Brown, as well as you don't even like sports, a sports podcast about uh, for people who don't like sports. Uh, and on top of that, uh, our new video series, You Don't Even Like Sports, Cards. And again, those are all on the Unpops Network. Uh, if you want to hear me talk about Batman, check out Tom and Jeff Watch Batman on the Gamefully Unemployed Network. And if you want to see me live, Blast from the Past on Magnolia in Burbank is the home of Mint on Card Comedy. My toy geeks know what I'm talking about there. And that is going to be the second Friday of every month. Uh, my Patreon has been revamped. I've got new shows coming, such as uh, I Must Break You, my card-breaking show that I'm going to be doing. The first episode is going to be dropping this month, I believe, the last Wednesday. I believe the the last Wednesday of every month is going to be uh, when I when I put that up. So, so Jeff has committed to a week from when you are hearing this, if you listen to it when it's released, which why wouldn't you? I'll finish this up. You can find me most places as as nerd numbers, including tcdb.com, where I've been uploading my FLIR set and I may upload my dragon. They do everything, Jeff. tcdb.com lets you keep track of magic. That's a trading card database, right? Yeah. uh, Yeah, it's it's short for trading card database. Absolutely love it. So do that. Find me most places, nerd numbers. We already did the box score geek show, but definitely listen to that. Uh, We will probably be, sorry to poke the bear, Brian, lamenting the warriors because of clay thompson and celebrating the nuggets because of nikola Jokic. it's a little specific but i think you're right (laughs) and and we'll see and and here's the good news this drops in a week so i will get to hear like if i'm wrong because i have to give jeff the edited version of this before it goes live 
if I'm wrong, that's that's out there forever, very much like, yeah. okay, I've got, I've got one last thing to tie this together to end this up on. One of the things I'm infamous for is back in the day, I called Russell Westbrook overrated. At one point saying, people think Russell Westbrook is like Scottie Pippen when he's really like Steve Kerr. At the time, Boy, I did was that right. sentence not hold up at all? At the time I said that, I was right. I got to live in hell as not only did Russell Westbrook go on to become MVP, the numbers agreed. And then I got to see people say Russell Westbrook's triple doubles were overrated. And I had to argue against that. So a player that the internet flamed me for hating, I was then defending to the same people. This season, Russell Westbrook is making $47 million. I would like to overpaid, but he was probably worth the contract. But dear God, now the important part about that contract number is that is the equivalent to $25 million in 1997, which incidentally is the price that Wizards of the Coast paid for TSR, the company that owned Dungeons and Dragons. So that's tying everything together. Mic drop. We'll see you next time. Look at that. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Nerd. If you want to help keep the podcast growing, it's definitely worth your while to head over to patreon.com forward slash Jeff May. And also you'll get bonuses and early access to cool stuff. Cool stuff like videos of Jeff showing off awesome collectibles and doing pack breaking videos. It'd be worth your while to check out Jeff May's YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash at hey there Jeffro. That's spelled J-E-F-F-R-O. And shocker, that is also his Twitter and Instagram account as well. So follow Jeff everywhere. You can find me most places on the internet as at nerd numbers. Also, shout out to Chris Haugen for the outro theme of Pure Magic. Thanks so much, and we'll be back with another nerdy subject soon.